this morning is on the calling and the sending of the twelve. Every single one of those twelve, save one, was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I want you to notice how God changed their lives and changed the trajectory of everything for them because He would redeem them through the blood of His Son on the cross. Matthew chapter 10, and beginning in verse 1. And He called to Him His twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Here we see a commissioning taking place. The word apostle in the Greek is actually a verb. It is apostello. It means I send. And we see these 12 apostles being sent out to accomplish the kingdom and the mission of God in advancing his kingdom unto the ends of the earth. And notice that Jesus is now sharing in his authority. In the previous chapters, we've seen how Jesus has authority over the winds and over the seas, over the demons, over everything that is in the earth. And now he proceeds to give that authority to the disciples and they share in it. And the power that's given to them come from, comes from God. It's all connected to His purposes. We know something that's true in our lives today too, don't we? That a professing believer living apart from the power of God is actually in great danger. That's where our strength and where our power comes from. A few years ago, there was a commercial of a little boy dressed as Darth Vader. He had the helmet on, was half the size of Darth Vader, and he was walking around the house trying to use the force to his advantage. So there's a picture of him going into the laundry room and trying to make the dryer comes on. He thrusts out his hands. Nothing happens. So he goes to the next room, finds the dog sitting there, <coughs> laying rolled over, and he tries to wake up the dog, and he thrusts out his hands. Nothing happens. And then finally he goes into his sister's bedroom, and there's a doll in there, and he decides that he's going to make, make that doll rise up and walk, and he thrusts out his hands. Nothing happens, and you see the little boy put his head down, goes out discouraged. And finally he comes in and sees that his dad's car is pulling up in the driveway, and he 
raises up all the courage he can muster and goes out and decides to try it one last time. And as the dad walks in, the little boy zaps at the car and you see the blinkers start to turn on and the engine comes to life. And the little boy is taken aback. He looks at the house and he looks back at the car and it's on. And inside, his dad has gone back into the kitchen and has pressed the button for the remote starter and the car has come on. And the little boy is just absolutely blown away that his power has worked. But the little boy is not able to do anything apart from the help of his father. And that's the way it is in the life of believers. We are not able to truly accomplish anything apart from the help of our father. And these disciples are sent out in order to do that. That all of life, everything that we're doing, everything that we are, must be lived out in the power of God. And so he gives us their names. Look with me at the names that are, that are given to these disciples beginning in verse 2. We have four groups of three men. Simon, or three groups of four men. Simon, who is called Peter. We know something about Peter, don't we? Peter was the one who was getting it right or getting it wrong. He was confessing one minute that Jesus was the Christ, and the next minute he was trying to stop the plan that God had made for salvation. And Jesus has to say to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. One minute Peter is standing with Jesus saying, I'll never deny you. And then the next moment he's denying the very Lord that he professes. But you remember one of the last scenes that we have of Peter being with the Lord is out on the seaside, on the shore. And he's gathered together with Jesus, and Jesus says, <coughs> Simon Peter, do you love me? And Simon Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. The scene's repeated a couple of more times. <coughs> and Jesus responds to him to go and to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then he goes with Andrew, <coughs> his brother. And he says, my voice is overcome with emotion today, I think. It's the allergies going around Okay, let's see if I can get this. I'm sorry, guys. That's the first time I've paid tribute to Tom Brady. <laughs> and I hope it'll be the last. <laughs> he goes on and he talks about Andrew, his brother. And Andrew, who is less known than Peter, but he is someone who apparently has a sense of where he senses where God is going. He, he has an acute hearing for the Spirit of God moving. We see James, the son of Zebedee, and then John, his brother. And James and John are known as the sons of thunder because they often get angry. Matter of fact, in one scene in the Scripture, we see that they are trying to get Jesus to destroy a Samaritan village in a Samaritan town. And Jesus says, you don't understand why I'm here. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill the law. And later on in the book of Acts, John actually goes out and witnesses and preaches the same gospel to that town. God completely changed their lives. Thank you for that. He goes on to Philip, who's a little bit lesser known, but is a leader of the lesser known apostles. Bartholomew, who's also known as Nathaniel, who asked that question of Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? We see Matthew, the tax collector, the author of this gospel, who is considered to be a sinner, who is hated and despised, and yet here he is with these fishermen who probably would not have been able to stand him just a few days ago, and now they're with him. We see James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and then Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot was into guerrilla warfare. He was trying to destroy the Roman Empire through the use of force. He would have been a hawk in today's world. And then Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out. And the truth is, we know very little about any of these men. 
Tradition has it that all but one experienced a martyr's death, that is, they died for the faith that they professed. But we really don't know a whole lot about their lives. And I think there's a reason for that. And the reason is that ordinary men are used by an extraordinary God to turn the world upside down. And if there's a theme that you heard in the song that was sung just a moment ago, that God is not finished with me yet, can I say to everybody in this room, if you are in Christ, if you desire to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, or you've gotten away from Him, God is not finished with you yet. And if He can use these apostles, ordinary men, and He can use you, That's the way that He always works. But it's all of these men working together so that the Gospel might be spread out. It can't be just a few of us. It can't be just when we feel like it. It has to be all of us working together to share the Gospel. Well, He gives them some instructions. This is for the temporary mission to the house of Israel, but there's some principles that we can learn from it regardless. He instructs them and He gives them some things that they need to do. He tells them, first of all, beginning in verse 5, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. So he's fulfilling explicitly the statement that Jesus has come to save the people of Israel from their sins. He never quite says that out loud in the earlier chapters, but here it is. Go first to the house of Israel. Share with them that their Messiah will come and later they will receive the word from John that he came into his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him. To them gave you power to become the sons of God. These lost sheep of the house of Israel, these sheep without a shepherd that Jesus has already told us about in chapter 9, they prayed to the Father to send out laborers into the harvest. The Father has done so. And yet throughout the narratives, the faith of the Gentiles is mentioned. I have not seen among the centurion a faith in all of Israel. He says that at several places along the way. And then he tells them to proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice what he did not say to the culture. We are relevant to you. We still have a place today. We have come to do what you've asked us to do. None of those things. He says, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're not proclaiming Jesus Christ, then who are we proclaiming? The power in that culture was in the future gospel. And the power in our culture is still in the gospel today. And the greatest force for ever changing somebody's life, not just here on earth, but for all of eternity, is the good news of Jesus Christ. He calls us to share that gospel, to share that message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he goes on, he tells us, look, you need to heal the sick. You need to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to cast out demons. And you'll notice something going on throughout this chapter that every time the kingdom of God advances, Satan and his demons are there to oppose it. See, you and I sometimes don't realize that it's real, but Satan and his demons sure do. And they are doing everything they can to take the kingdom that rightfully belongs to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Bible says that's really who we wrestle against this morning. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The fight is not against human beings. The fight is against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is who we are fighting today. And it is a fight that has ultimately been won in Jesus Christ. And one day, everything that is wrong in this world, He will make right, and He will make all things new. So He tells us to be watchful and to be aware 
of this rebellion that God will one day totally and completely overcome on this earth. Then he gives a principle to them. He says, look, you receive without pay, give without pay, not send so much money to this address or call this number and give this donation and God will richly bless you as a result of it. He says, look, you've received the gospel for free. Don't demand a payment as a result of it. He goes on, he says, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. All of those things would have been necessary for them to have an overnight stay. It would have been necessary for them to have some utensils to, to, to take with them. It's just like us having a, a toothbrush and some, and some deodorant and some soap. And hopefully you, you use that when you take it to go somewhere overnight or you find somewhere to, to get it. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. You are to live on the provision of your Father. He says, you're not to profit commercially anymore. Simon Peter and Andrew had a good business going. They were successful. He says, leave that. And then he tells them, this laborer is deserving of his food. And the food doesn't come from human beings. It's not human beings that are giving the food or giving the payment. It's ultimately a provision of the Lord. He's the one who's put this into place. We live in an economy and in a culture where everybody's saying that we have too little. And so they say we need to raise the minimum wage or we need to take money away from the rich and give it to the middle class or give it to the poor. And listen, we are always to assist the poor, those that are, those that are working, those that are trying to make ends meet and are not able to do so. We ought to do everything in our power as the church to assist and to help them. But I think our problem in this country is not that we have too little, it's that we have too much. Even the poorest among us is rich in other parts of the world. We have no idea how much excess we have. And yet Jesus tells these disciples who are living day by day, who are not living paycheck to paycheck, who are checking their meals at the end of the day, don't take anything. Your heavenly Father will provide. That takes some faith. But I'm convinced that sometimes if we had less, that we would trust God more. So he calls them to that. He says, trust in the Lord to be your provision. And then he tells them in verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. By who is worthy, who is accepting of the message of the kingdom, who's accepting of it. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, if they reject the message, let your peace return to you. Similar to the angel of the Lord seeing the blood on the doorpost. If I see the blood, I will pass over you. If I do not see the blood, you will stand on your own condemnation because you have not accepted the sacrifice that God has made. And if anyone, he goes on in verse 14, will not receive you or listen to your words, Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And then he says something truly terrifying in verse 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, don't we? They experienced the wrath of God because they would not heed the righteousness of God. God destroyed those towns. But he says it will be better 
for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for the people who reject the message of the kingdom of heaven. And guys, that's always the way the gospel comes to us. It comes to us as a word of welcome for those who accept and repent, but a word of warning for those who reject. And listen, you can receive it or you can reject it, but you cannot ignore it. He says, look, this calling is going to be a difficult calling for this disciples. I like what C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think are innocent, as well as the ones you think are wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. There's no half measures in the kingdom of God. This calling is a difficult calling. But he also tells us that this sending is a difficult Sending, this is not an easy task that the disciples have been given, and yet this is exactly the way that evangelism and discipleship are ultimately going to occur. You know, it's similar to how you and I would make the distinction between going to Home Depot to get something or going to the farm store to get something. Now, if I go to Home Depot, me being the, the kind of guy that does all these home repairs, by the way, a great illustration for me to use. If I go to Home Depot... I can find pretty much everything that I want. They've got aisles and aisles of things, more so than the farm store does. But if I go to the farm store, it's more than likely that the people in there are going to know my name and they're going to know what I want and they're more than likely going to take me to get where I want. Whereas if I go in Home Depot or Lowe's or any of these other stores, they're going to have what I want, but I'm going to go to somebody and I'm going to need something in the electrical section and they're going to say, well, normally I work in paints, but I'm over here today because I had to get a substitute and I don't know where anything is, so you're kind of on your own. You never experienced that before, have you? This is the way the kingdom of God works. Listen, there's a lot of gimmicks out there today. There's marketing, there's strategy. How can we get the gospel to the most people? And we ought to use that when it's effective. But the way in which the gospel really spreads out is the same way that the farm store does good business. One-on-one -on -one relationships. That's how the gospel is passed down. Look at how the Bible does this. Moses trains Joshua in how to lead. Eli trains Samuel in how to pray. Jesus teaches the apostles. Timothy's grandmother, Lois, trains up her daughter, Eunice, who trains up her son, Timothy. Paul calls Titus his son in the faith. And when it comes to training and raising up believers for the next generation, that's how it's done. One by one. Two by two. Somebody said the true measure of success in life is when what you're living for outlives you. Have we thought about that? Just a minute ago, this sweet little girl, Riley, was sitting next to me, and she asked me if she could come up to the pulpit with me today and preach. And I said, well, we'll work on that one Sunday. That's who we're training. That's who we're raising up when we're gone. And the way that you do it is by going and sharing the gospel. The way that you do it is by knowing the scriptures and understanding life together. Older teaching younger, younger honoring older. Training them up to spiritual maturity in the gospel. That's what he calls us to do. 
And we can look around at our country and our society today and say, what in the world's going on? Saying somebody should do something about it. I'm reminded of the story in Andy Griffith when Barney has deputized Gomer to be a part of the police force when Andy's out of town and a robbery occurs and Gomer starts calling out and saying, we should call the police. Barney goes, we are the police. And you and I can call out and say somebody should do something about this. Or we could say that God has commissioned us to go out and do something and to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. Let me just tell you, if God can use these guys, He can use me, He can use you. It's old, it's corny, but it's true. God doesn't call qualified people. He qualifies those who are called. So graduates who are here today, how is God going to use you in the future? If you'll submit to Him, He'll use you in great ways. Those of you that are in the middle stages of life and you're struggling with your marriage or your job, your kids, God will still use you too. Those of you that are older and you can't do what you used to physically anymore, and you say, how could God use me in the same way that He's always used you? By the power of His Spirit so that others might see the name of Jesus Christ. But it can't be just one of us. It can't be just a few of us. It has to be all of us living out the gospel so that when others see the power in us, they don't see what we can do, but they see the power of our Father who works in and through us. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.